0: I'm Kier from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast, and part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now, shows in the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky
1: shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com.
0: Welcome back to On The Bubble Podcast. This My name is Josh Liston. You can find everything to do with the show, including links to today's guest, where to find him on the internet, and all of his work at onthebubblepodcast.com. I'm really, really excited today, and honoured, really, to be joined by John J. Joex, who is the author of 2012's Why Were They Cancelled? And also 2015, Cancelled Sci-Fi TV, 1949 to 2015, The Ultimate Guide to Cancelled Science Fiction and Fantasy TV Shows. So, John, you're on today really to give us a pretty high level understanding of ratings, something that I get asked more questions about than I'd like to admit, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know all that much about the technicality. So maybe first, can you just take us through how you became interested in sci-fi and fantasy? Because a lot of what we have covered thus far on on the bubble has been shows from that genre, and then maybe how did that morph into an interest in the technical mechanics of writings and time slots and all that kind of stuff
1: uh thank you josh um i you mentioned my uh books there uh and i actually go into a little bit there it all began with uh, space 1999 which i watched live when it aired back in the 70s yes i'm that old <laughs> <laughs> and i was already a huge star trek fan then Space 1999 came up and I just thought that was the most awesome show ever. And I watched it for through the first two seasons and I figured it would just go on and on forever. And there was a magazine at the time. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Log.
0: I have heard of it. I'm not familiar with what it is, but I have heard of it.
1: It was pretty much the, that's where you get your science fiction and uh, fantasy news at that time. There was no internet. There was regular uh, media publications didn't cover it as much. So when I saw issue, I, th- I believe it was issue number six and on the cover, Space 1999 cancellation, it just like shocked my world. And so that's what I started reading about it's actually probably when I started to understand shows got canceled because the networks didn't believe enough people were watching them. And I started to notice in my local newspaper, uh, one day a week, they would have ratings information. It was generally the top 10, and sometimes they would show like the bottom five or the bottom 10 – And the science fiction and fantasy shows at that time were always in the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And I just became fascinated with it and started reading more about ratings and just started following it from that uh, time forward.
0: Just further to how you introduced those stories in the two books, I think it may, from memory, I think it was in Why Were They Cancelled?, you mentioned that there wasn't really any formal method of learning the technicalities of television ratings. It was a process of week after week after week tracking shows you were interested in versus the ratings in the publications you could get hold of, which I'm assuming you just had to take those as face value, that they were reporting those ratings correctly and there wasn't a lot of editorial around maybe why the ratings were the way they were. How tough was it for you to know that the patterns that you were seeing in the ratings versus shows that you were following was actually what was happening when they came to be canceled. Was there any way for you to know that my intuitions about this show maybe being canceled or whatever are actually correct? Cause I'm assuming there, there wasn't exactly a university degree, a bachelor in TV ratings at the time. So.
1: At that time, absolutely not. And you're right. So it was basically what little information Um, I could find in the papers. I I think TV Guide might have had a little – every once in a while you'd see like ratings for the entire week. And like I say, typically the science fiction and fantasy shows would tend to be uh, the lower rated shows. And I also – the books about Star Trek and it being uh, uh, canceled, that's where I learned information. So it was just gleaning like exactly like you said gleaning little bits here and there uh, at the time. Nowadays, with the internet and, and all of the media sites, there's tons of information uh, out there now. Um, but, yeah, back at that time, it was very difficult.
0: So maybe just before we dig into ratings and time slots and genres, etc. why do you think – and I, I want to get this in early, John, because I might forget to ask otherwise, and I guess – for me, having someone I respect on the show, I can't let a personal question go. The Why do you think it is that sci-fi and fantasy television has struggled so much for upfront broadcast ratings when those shows have just this long tail of interest, which I'll probably talk about right at the end of tonight, a personal example, when people can go back years and years and years later and those shows can grab people just as much whereas other shows that were popular at the time don't have any historical long tail like what is it that makes fantasy work in the long term but maybe or sci-fi but not so much in the short term is there a reason for that do you have any feelings about that particular issue
1: uh yes um the uh science fiction and fantasy shows they appeal they, they kind of appeal to a different niche it's one that's not well represented by the ratings. The, uh, the Nielsen ratings are a sampling of, uh, of the population. And and that started out because at the time when, when Nielsen's first started measuring things, it just wasn't that easy to, um, do a large, uh, uh, measurement. And so they sampled the population and uh, for years it's been, uh, argued that their sample is skewed into more of a family-oriented group that's not necessarily the same group that might be watching uh, some of these shows. So it might not include college students. It might not include professors, uh, those sorts of things. So that is part of it is that the sampling there didn't seem to capture that core group that was watching these shows um, that were really devoted to them. Another thing that I believe um, from going back and just, you mentioned the second book, when, when I compiled information on canceled shows throughout the, the years, just kind of seeing the patterns there, the way the networks treated shows, they understood there was actually people watching these shows twilight zone did well star trek did so so when it aired live and then became a phenomena in syndication so they understood there's people watching them but they couldn't quite figure out okay how do i slot these in to get people to watch these shows when I've got my other shows that I know everybody's going to tune in for. So they would throw darts or whatever to figure out how to schedule those. (laughs) Uh, It it, it didn't work a lot of times.
0: Wow. That's super interesting. And I'm sure you'll be able to correct me if I'm completely off base with, I have a, a theory which goes along with the facts that John's just presented there. Do you think that maybe part of the issue with these sci-fi and fantasy shows, even when they had strong ratings or strong enough ratings to maybe be considered for a renewal, that the networks couldn't work out how exactly to monetize that audience as easily as maybe a broader, more family-oriented audience? Because I know when you see the earnings figures of, I know it's not a television property, but something like star wars it affected an entire economy in ways that you unless (laughs) unless you read about it you probably wouldn't understand that the californian economy almost came out of a slump in some ways because of parts things to do with star wars like but it's almost like a self-contained universe the money-making potential of a star a star trek is the follow-up audience and sales and merchandise and conferences and obviously at a grander scale the movies is that not They're not the type of things that the TV initial broadcast can really tap into as a money stream. I mean, that's my understanding. Is that part of maybe why these properties weren't as you know appealing to keep on the air because they're expensive and there wasn't an easy way to say, okay, that audience buys washing detergent and that audience buys car tires? Am I completely off base? or
1: No, I, th- I think you're right on there. Um, so... The, the especially broadcast networks from, you know, back in the day and even today, their model has always been uh, the, ad, the, the money that they make from advertising. So a Happy Days is going to, back in the 70s, you know, the top-rated show on television. Well, that everybody wanted to advertise on that one. You get a science fiction show and it wasn't drawing as much advertisement. Like you say, there's other ways to monetize, monetize that, those shows, but that's not part of the network's model. The network's model is people watching live and seeing those advertisements and that's driving the sponsors to them. So it, it, that that's, you know, really, really an excellent point actually on, on your part that, uh, Those shows, even something like uh, Battlestar Galactica in the 70s, started out as a top-10 show, and then CBS did some counter-programming and put, uh, I think it was All All in the Family or Archie Bunker's Place against it, and then that impacted its ratings. So it started to drop down, and it was an expensive show to produce. And ABC's model is advertising while it's airing not selling toys yeah. uh, or something like that for that, they get a little money from that, but that's not the way they're. That's not the way they're built to to for their revenue stream and for gauging the success of a show.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent points. So, I guess maybe now, John, if it's okay, if we could move into the more technical side of how, and this is something that I found completely. Interesting, engrossing about your work was the connections that you made between ratings and time slots, particular networks, how they fall in the stack of power in a certain or ratings within a time slot, and also particular genres. And I think it might have been in Why Were They Cancelled that you introduced that idea of certain times of the week requiring a different level of ratings that may have been completely satisfactory for renewal at a different time of the week. Can you just take us through I'm not I'm not sure what they call it in North America, but I guess in Australia it would be called a rate card. I'm not sure how you guys would describe that same thing where certain shows have to perform in a certain way at a certain time. So a lot of
1: this is a lot of this kind of goes looking um, back. Things are changing a lot on that, but we're still when you look at like the broadcast networks and even some of the cable uh, networks, this still does apply. So, for example, a show that airs on a Monday night uh, here in the United States during uh, prime time, there t- re- the uh, networks are typically going to be expecting a certain level to consider it a successful show. And in we're talking mostly the Big Four networks: ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. CW sort of a uh, a different animal there. Those shows. And when you get into the numbers, it gets really kind of kludgy there because, uh, those numbers are changing all the time. Um, but a Monday, Tuesday, any really Sunday through Thursday, there's a certain expectation. Friday has become a lower viewership night. So shows can do well on that night. Uh, I'm sorry, um, can can have lower numbers on that night and still be considered to be doing well enough to uh, survive so for some some examples right now there's the MacGyver reboot I don't know if you really consider that sci-fi fantasy I've watched a few episodes it's running around a uh, 0.8, uh, eight-tenths of one rating point average uh, this season, and then that's probably going to be fine to get that show re- renewed. But then on Tuesday nights, the uh, The Gifted, which is the Fox series, which is an X-Men spinoff, that one's averaging about a 0.6, and it really looks like it might be done. And uh, also on Friday night, NBC has uh, the um, – Midnight Texas, which was a summer series, then they moved to the uh, to uh, fall, or, or yeah, they moved it to uh, fall, and it's on Friday nights. It's only averaging a point four rating right now, and it's NBC's lowest show, rated show. And even though it's on a Friday night, and I don't think that one's gonna gonna make
0: it. Yeah, so. Just for a little clarification, and please stop me and correct me if I'm wrong here, John, one ratings point from Nielsen is the equivalent of one million viewers. Is that correct?
1: It is a little more than a million. Um, I haven't seen the most recent numbers. So each year they they reassess it and – the the TV by the numbers used to always publish it and they they haven't been doing it as much, but yeah, it's one around, let's just, just to make it easy, let's call it a million. And that's also 1 million in the, 18 to 49 year old demographic um so that's it's within that range it's not total viewers it's with that within that range which is supposedly the range that uh, most responds to advertising
0: which i've always found a little strange because I know a lot more 55 year olds than I do 45 year olds with a lot of money <laughs> but uh, we might we might move on from that the the way ratings work now does that also encompass, I guess, what I've co- I've heard it called seven-day cubes and different things about delayed watching. Does that include any amount of delayed or is that broadcast numbers now? Is that still just who watched it live, a contemporaneous audience that happened to be watching during the broadcast, or is there other numbers that are
1: filtering into that total? That is pretty much the live... Okay, so the same day... Is if they watched it that day, so they could have watched it on a DVR that day. That will get included in there. But anything after that day is not included in in that same day number. The number that the uh, broadcast networks still pay most attention to no matter what they'll tell you they'll say oh no no we look at the delayed view and we look at the delayed viewing yeah yeah the first number you look at is the uh, same day
0: yeah and i guess that might there's probably a, a reason from their side that they might not feel confident that whatever embedded advertising is in the the delayed viewing is actually being viewed at all is that why they exactly discount those numbers yeah Right. Yeah. From their point of view, I guess that makes sense. Not that I think it makes sense from a (laughs) higher level question whether a show is good enough and has enough total audience to, you know, be cancelled or not, but I guess they have to think about it. But (laughs) yeah. So just with just before we move on from ratings, I just wanted to maybe throw another situation out there. And this was for a show that in retrospect, the second season, the end of the second season was quite good, but overall, wasn't the most fantastic show, which was the Shannara Chronicles. And right. I, I think I liked it more because I loved the book so much. And the character of Alanon and the character of Eritrea were so perfectly cast that I couldn't get over the fact that maybe the show itself wasn't that great. Because <laughs> they were just, it's like someone plucked those two characters out of the book and put them on the screen in how I'd imagined them.
1: Al-Anon was not at all how I imagined him, but I agree. He did – the the, um, the guy who did him did a great job on that show.
0: Yeah. I mean, Al-Anon's described in the books – I know we're going on a small tangent, but he's described yeah. as a, a very thin, seven-foot-tall man with a very deep voice. It's probably pretty hard to find that human being out there that can actually act. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, So, yeah, Manu Bennett did – a very intense, and then by the end of the season, he was playing the two main characters almost simultaneously, which was also great. But yeah, so maybe I'm a, maybe my impression of the show is a little bit slanted because I I love the the source material, but that started on one network which was MTV, and I think right. they might even been getting a 1.2 at one point when it first came. I know that the ratings weren't abysmal, but they, right. I mean they they probably weren't world beaters. But then it got moved to Spike TV. And also there was no transitional advertising. And then when it landed on Spike, I don't think that there was any backup advertising to say, hey, in case you didn't realize, we did move. (laughs) The show (laughs) dropped, I think, down to nearly, I think it was a 0.25 or 0.26 within the first few episodes of season two and never really recovered. Like what, what responsibility did networks have for making what in retrospect seemed like a really poor decision? Like if you're taking a show and then you're moving it to an unfavourable time slot on a different network altogether, is there any onus on the network to actually make that? To us, it seems so sensible that if you're going to move a property, not to just a different time of the week, but to a different place altogether, that maybe some transitional promotion might have helped, or are we just expecting too much of these executives?
1: I don't think that's expecting too much of them because I, I agree with you that one was on MTV now the the 1.2 rating that you mentioned I believe that was with um the delayed viewing the the live ratings weren't as good for that one but that show uh as I recall uh grew by um 100 to 200% when you when you brought in the um the delayed viewing Uh, And it appealed to a younger audience, and and that's typically the way you see it. So when they moved it over to Spike, and part of that was uh, MTV was moving away from scripted programming, and Spike is, uh, they're all part of, I think it's the Viacom network, Um, so it was a sister network. But they moved it to there. They put it on a different night. As you say, they really didn't advertise that, and so that killed the show now there's things that 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 you know maybe we're not seeing i know that show had international funding in its first season some of that may have changed and it could be by the time it got to spike they didn't have the same international deals and spike could have just said okay we're just going to we're just going to air this out and get rid of it um it, it happens <laughs> yeah
0: I guess the the thing I found most confusing was that unless you, the whole intention was, oh, we're stuck with this thing for some contractual reason, let's put it somewhere so we can cancel it when we want to. Yeah. If, you're actually, if you're actually at all interested in the success of the property, I don't think you make an expensive television show in another country and deal with all of that complication unless you want it to work. They had the opportunity to say, if you're one of those people that didn't that found the tone of the Shannara Chronicles more kiddy and more oriented to youth than what the books are. Here's the l of Shannara adaption you really want. This season too is what the books, Not, I mean, they mixed the storyline up in some weird ways, which I didn't love. Picked bits of the timeline from all over the place in the, the novels. But the actual tone was more adult, which there are moments that are very dark in the Shannara work. They had the opportunity to advertise it to those people that maybe passed on it the first time. Yeah, and yeah. that didn't happen either. So, I I think sometimes I know from being, you know, a, a manager in day to day life that there's quite often a list of priorities and th- things that seem really really important to a subset of people sometimes just get missed <laughs> because you, yeah, they are human beings at the end of the day, and I'm by no means if you've listened to this show a fan of forgiving people at networks for bad decisions. I think, uh, yeah, but I just I can understand that maybe the Shannara thing wasn't as important as some other things that may have been going on. Who knows? At the same time, but yeah, that just seems like one that sticks out to me is a really weird way to give up on a show.
1: Um, Sci-fi is bad about this as well. They tend to um, sci-fi the network uh, to (laughs) advertise their shows in the first year. But then after that, they're on their own. Um, I, I'm not certain if you ever watched Dominion, uh, which no. was on two seasons. Um, Anthony Head, uh, who was in that series, made the comment that in the second season, the first season it did so-so in the ratings, but well enough that they gave it the second season. But he made the comment that Sci-Fi did not advertise it at all in the second season. And you just kind of shake your head and go, why?
0: <laughs> yeah, if you're a car company and you release a new car that you think is going to be the next Tesla, you don't just, you know, put it out there and don't <laughs> yeah. advertise it or any other brand for that matter. You, at, McDonald's is probably the most yeah. recognized brand in the world and exactly. they still run ads. So you've got to remind, <laughs> you have to remind people that things are there. So I think we may have talked enough ratings and stuff now, John. I wanted to just finish up with something maybe a little more fun, if that's okay. And I may bring this segment back for future guests when I do have them on. So here's 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 the pitch, and I'll give you my show in, in a minute once John's presented his. If you could bring back one show from the past, extend that show for one extra season, and deliver that show onto whatever network or platform of your choice or
1: whichever, wherever you You're would You're only going to give me one. Which show would it be? <laughs>
0: And where would, where
1: would you put it? Um, okay, let me think. The obvious answer is Firefly. But you know what? I'm not going to go with the obvious answer. I'm going to go with a past favorite. And that would be – it would be one that you could actually uh, bring back uh, as a reboot now. that, that I'm going to go with Max Hedru from the 80s. A- Great show. It was over the top, subversive, funny, dark at the same time. It ran for two seasons, two short seasons on ABC, another one that was killed by the network. Um, And it would have to come back to like Netflix or or Amazon. Uh, One of those that will let the show have the freedom that it needs and I think, and I think that it would fit in real well today. And um, yeah, that that's that would be a good one that to that I suggest bringing back.
0: And that's a good one. Um, my elder brothers have talked to me about that show. I'm not sure how back in the 80s because they're quite a bit older than me. I'm not sure how they got hold of Max Headroom, and yeah. I'm not sure how they even saw it when i'm not sure if it was even broadcasted down here it might have been on vhs or something at the time (laughs) that their friend sent over from the us but i guess for me and this is going to come as no surprise to anyone who's listened to the show mine would be the sarah Connor chronicles and it's not just because other than firefly and Battlestar galactica it's a top three favorite show ever for me it's because i've seen it happen so many times in my own just little circle of people asking me josh why do you love that show so much and then i asked them did you ever watch it like, nah, I had an idea of what it was and I don't think I wanted to watch it. And I'm like, well, just give it a chance because it's not a Terminator movie. It's nothing like, other than the very first episode, it's nothing like what you think it's going to be like. And then they watch it and come back to me and say, wow, that was really good. That show is completely different in tone and writing quality than I expected. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of people have discovered and loved the show since. So I know that it has, his, it has some long tail in terms of people looking back and actually yep. liking it. And I know also from first-hand knowledge that the season two cliffhanger is still breaking hearts 10 years later because yeah. <laughs> that is one of the all-time, yeah, all-time gut checks, that particular, you know, that particular cliffhanger. And I guess I would, it would have to be on Netflix because I know that Terminator was one of the shows that has benefited from a very large global accumulation of audience over time more so than maybe. Obviously, it was a very expensive show at the time. Yeah. I think it may actually have been the most expensive show on broadcast television at one point, I think in its second season, but that's the show for me. And it's not just because I love it. <laughs> it's because I know that people yes. who you could watch the first season and the second season and they wouldn't feel dated if you had a third season because the sh- the show was very well produced and the writing was, I don't, I don't know what to call that time, but it was one of the few shows to me that was a transitional, it was caught in that gap between there were a few outstandingly written shows And then there was the writer's strike and everything. There was a few that got lost in the mix.
1: And that was a very good show. Um, And uh, that one, there was a huge outpouring of support to get that one uh, renewed. And they are actually working on another Terminator television series, but it will not be a continuation of that one from what I understand.
0: I think that the next decade is just going to be the decade of reboots. It's just too far gone for Sarah Connor to ever make a comeback in that form maybe there will be networks that look out and think, well, did we give up on X property or Y property? You know, at, Did we give up on those shows? Is there a way to bring back something similar to this audience now that streaming has developed? And the cum, the total cum of audiences is more important to certain networks like a, a Netflix that don't actually have traditional ratings from what I can tell at all. So that might be how we finish up today, John. What do you feel moving forward about the companies like a Netflix that don't have any external ratings which makes sense that's not how they want people to judge their properties but how does that work internally for the actual creators of the shows particularly if they're bringing in talent that has a history in the television medium that may be used to using that as the well for the lack of a better term a how are we actually going is the show actually doing well kind of yardstick
1: I think it is, it's is—it's a good direction because the streaming services, for the most part, seem to be supporting their shows and giving them usually at least two seasons. Now, we do have the issue with Netflix just recently starting to cancel off their Marvel shows, but that's a little different situation with Disney moving to its own streaming service and all of that sort of thing. So... I guess with not having to, to worry about the traditional ratings, and I think this also works really good for science fiction shows because, as we know, the audience doesn't always watch live. The The audience that watch science fiction tends to want to watch when they want to watch. So, okay, if they didn't watch it you know, when it was first released, but if they watched it within that first week, then – Netflix sees that. They see okay, yeah, the people are watching this sort of thing. And so the you talk about the creative talent, I think they feel they have a little bit more freedom, a little bit less pressure uh in you know, I'm I'm saying this not knowing apps I haven't been working on any of these shows, but from you know, what I've read they don't have the pressure of the network looking over them with, the, you know, with the ratings numbers saying, hey, these aren't where they should be. The The streaming services are definitely the future. And I think it's a much better place for science fiction and fantasy shows to be on um, because I think they'll perform better there.
0: Yeah, and maybe just lastly, do you think maybe not the greatest example once again, but do you think with a show like Shannara, for example, that has a book heritage, which I think that book series i know it's well into the tens of millions and i know that terry brooks has sold about 50 million books or thereabouts so he's a prolific author those are big big numbers and not all of those are the Shinara story but a lot of them yeah. are do you think that it's yeah. more important for a show like that maybe to be born within a netflix than to be redistributed by netflix uh, yeah. because the, glo- the, the the global reach of netflix i mean that show was the massive banner up the top of my netflix for several weeks which is what it made me eventually start to click on it and watch it but do you think that for a show to maybe a show that doesn't a genre that doesn't do that well with broadcast is it better for them to kind of germinate within the streaming service originally
1: i definitely definitely think that that's the better place uh for a lot of these and uh well we've already so we already saw amazon saved uh the expanse um netflix saved lucifer um so i'm thinking that uh we're just seeing that those are just being a better home for those and like you say they start out there they're going to get better promotion from them as well so
0: not that it would happen but if amazon for any reason took the expanse on, which I think is a fantastic show. It took me a very long time to get into it. I'm not sure why that is. I didn't like it for about four or five episodes, but now I really yeah. like it. That's probably a whole nother conversation for a different day. <laughs> but if they if they drop the ball and don't let people know that it's on there, then that's not going to be great for the show, regardless of whether it's been saved and has a big budget. Amazon still have to tell people that show that we saved, it's here. Yeah. The yeah. maybe arguably the best pure sci-fi since battlestar galactica i mean that's probably up in the air some people say it's maybe the greatest sci-fi ever i think i heard a podcast <laughs> with geeks galaxy where the host was saying that i think you were a guest on there yes
1: yes yes that is,
0: yeah so there's a lot of heritage there's already value to the heritage of that show because of the source material and apparently the show's done a fantastic job of being great within its own right but, yeah, Amazon still have to do the right thing and promote it once it's done. Exactly. Righto, John. Well, did you want to just let everybody know where they can find you on the internet? You have a couple of great websites, so maybe just choose whichever one you think appeals most to the On The Bubble audience and just let us know how people can maybe reach out and have a conversation with you if they need to or want to.
1: Um, you can find me on sci-fi.com and that's where I track the ratings and... Um Give my assessment of how shows are doing. I'm also on Twitter, canceled sci-fi at canceled sci-fi, and I'm also on Facebook, uh, canceled sci-fi, and you can reach out to me there, uh, any of those places, and always happy to talk uh, talk about shows, past, present, future, give you my thoughts on them, and. I'll ramble on and on if you let me.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm exactly the same. So maybe that's why we've had such a good conversation today. Yes. A couple of ramblers. (laughs) So did you just want to leave us, John, with one show that you're particularly passionate about saving right at the moment?
1: Uh, Daredevil. Daredevil. I'd really like to see that one. Um, Either one more season of Daredevil um, or if they did a second season of The Defenders to bring all the characters together, because it pretty much looks like Jessica Jones and, and The Punisher will be gone after their upcoming season. So they need to do something, one more season, to kind of give it a good send-off for that whole series that Netflix has been doing.
0: Yeah, agreed. It's it's very different cancelling one show than cancelling a small universe. Yes, <laughs> thanks john once again it's been a real pleasure as a fan of the books i've read them several times and i go to them regularly so i'm really hoping you're okay with how often i attribute things to you from this show because honestly there's parts of on the bubble that probably wouldn't be what they are as far as the credibility level if it wasn't for your work
1: uh you getting the word out about my site and and about the books really appreciate that